station ID thingy. All right. Anytime you're ready, go ahead and go. Take one. Hi, this is Terry Tucker from MotivationalCheck.com, and you're listening to... Oh, shoot. That's there you a, go. That's good. You're supposed to screw up. It's it's an intentional thing. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Take two. And I, and I shouldn't do this because I've been done, done this like a million times. So this... Okay. Here we <laughs> it's go. all right. It's okay. All right. Hi, this is Terry Tucker from MotivationalCheck.com, and you're listening to Jeff Smith on Vroom Vroom Veer. Listen up. <clears throat> Perfect. Maybe a little too good, but that's okay. I'll give you a pass. <laughs> All right. I'm going to hit stop. I'll be right back. <laughs> Are you ready to thoughtfully steer away from your revved up, frenzied, and far too often scripted life? Then welcome to Vroom Vroom Veer with Jeff Smith, where he guides you down the road differently traveled by sharing unique experiences with guests who have managed to shift away from a life stuck on cruise control and veered their way into a more authentic and fulfilling one in all sorts of interesting and kind of remarkable ways. Get ready to vroom vroom veer with your differently traveled road chauffeur, Jeff Smith. Dr. Eric Holzapple. I hope it's that, I, I hope I said that name right. It's <laughs> <That is> good. <laughs> Thank you so much for being on Vroom Vroom Veer and welcome to the show. How's it going? Thanks. No, it's going great. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate being invited on, Jeff. I appreciate you being here. So you are at livinginthegap.org. Talk a little bit about what's most exciting in your world today, Living in the Gap. I love the well, background picture of you yeah. got in there. Thank you. Yeah, we're a, we run a mindful leadership program. We've just kicked off a cohort. We've got uh, 18 leaders, mindful leaders that are going through a nine month program, learn how to bring mindfulness into their business. That's awesome. And reduce stress and and make more money than ever. Hopefully. Yes, yes. <laughs> and that, and I'm also really excited about a book that I've written that's coming out called Profit with Presence. Perfect. That uh, is available for pre-sale on Amazon and it'll be coming out in the first quarter of 2023. That is the same. It kind of highlights what we do at Living in the Gap and how you, you know, can live a life of presence. And it doesn't have to be just a, and early in the morning or at night, but it could be all day long and it can make you really better in business than you are today. I love it. I love it. I love it because um, this is the first time I, I've, I've had this connection, you know, obviously kind of knew it already like mindful mindfulness is sort of like i don't know salad it just makes everything better <laughs> yeah right yes yes i mean you can't eat too many greens i don't think i mean you can't maybe you can i don't know well, but well at its at its base you know mindfulness is focus right and nothing nothing about focus hurts business i mean i think there's a little background conversation that you know, goes on that says, oh, well, I have to take time away from my business to do mindfulness. I'm too busy. Right. You know, but mm -hmm. I found the op the opposite is true. I think you get more right. efficient and, and uh, more focused and better than ever. So did you that's ever, my, my experience. Did you ever hear that story about, um, I can't remember who it was. It's a, it's a folk tale maybe about Abe Lincoln, I think, where he was in a uh, tree cutting contest. And he stopped every once in a while to sharpen his saw, and he ended up, you know, it seemed like he was wasting time. 
Exactly. <laughs> he said something that when he spent 90% of the time sharpening and 10% cutting or something right. like that. Yeah, I, yeah, have yeah. that. Yeah. I have heard that. I have heard that. Right. Yeah. See, so mindfulness is sort of like sharpening your saw. Yeah. 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 It totally is. Yeah. So, okay. Later on, not now, um, we're going to talk. Uh, you're going to tell us a funny story from one of your first jobs. Sure. So, looking forward to that. But before, we, before we do that, we have to, this is Room for Fear. So that means it's almost like that show, This Is Your Life, if anybody's old enough to, or young enough, or, you know, old enough, whatever. Anybody remembers that show? So uh, let's go back in time and talk about what is your earliest memory? Oh, wow. My earliest memory was, uh, certainly one of them, was standing on the end of my driveway. My dad was a football coach. I was about four, and I wanted to go with him. And he just said, you know, no, you're too little. Can't go. <laughs> and I was a pesky athletic kid. And I, you know, and then later that night, my dad was on the TV being interviewed. And I just like, just really hit me, you know, that I, I, I couldn't go with that. And you were pretty upset about that. Yeah. It really impacted me. It came up later in my life. Yeah. I wanted to go with, I wanted to go with that. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. My, I, you know, it's interesting because the, probably one of my earliest memories was when I was four too. It was yeah. like the, one of the neighbor kids, uh, was a year older than me. And the year that he started kindergarten, I was very upset because I wasn't going to have a playmate yeah. anymore. <laughs> those are impactful, you know, more, yeah. the older you get, the more you find how much you're impacted by those early experiences. Yeah. You know, they really, and it's like, really shape you. It sounds like nothing, but to a four-year-old, it's a big deal. It's huge. It is. Yeah. It's, yeah. yeah. It changes, trying to, you're trying to make sense. changes your brain. Yeah. You're trying to make sense of life, and when it doesn't make sense, it impacts you. Correct. Yeah. yeah. So where did you grow up? Dexter, Maine. Maine. Yeah. A little so, town, about 4,000 people. It used to be the home of Dexter Shoe. Okay. Oh, yeah, any, yeah. Any, which isn't anymore. But, I remember Dexter's. Yeah. I just came back. I just spent two months there this summer. I have a place on the lake there where I grew up, a little town Ooh, in Dexter. Nice. It was pretty, really awesome. So, yeah. uh, <clears throat> okay. I'm, I've never been to Maine. I've been to some other places on the East Coast, I think like Boston, uh, but that was probably the closest I've got to Maine. Yeah. I hear yeah, good things about raised. Maine. Yeah, it's a great place. Really a great place. Now, the winters are a little long for me. Right. I prefer the summers. The falls are beautiful. The yeah. leaf changing, the leaf yeah, yeah. colors and whatnot. But uh, it's a great place with great people. So I, a great, great, great place. I grew up in Michigan, so uh, I second the notion of I, I, I've had enough winter. <laughs> <laughs> I hear you. My first, and I, and, I yeah. see, and I see your background with the beach and the waves crashing in the palm trees. So yeah, I'm not moved there. On. You've, you've moved on. I'm in Las Vegas. Mentally. I, I'm At least Las mentally. Vegas. Yes. Mentally, you've moved on. Yes. I'm on the beach with a palm tree and a breeze, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Good. Uh, all right. So, what was your childhood like? Were you running around in the woods? Yeah. A lot of the time, I spent a lot of time alone. I remember I was a very athletic kid. Very. Right. Uh, we also ran a place where I go in the summer now. We ran a summer camp. It was a boys' camp. Oh wow! When nice. I was really small, and then when I got a little older, it was a campground. I that was my, you know, where I worked and learned collected trash and raked campsites and right. cleaned toilets and worked at the camp store and those kind of things and met. Uh, just a tremendous amount of mentors. Yeah, oh, that's great. And then my school year was mostly sports and uh, getting in trouble. 
what uh what we'll get into that later i'm gonna ask you some good getting in trouble oh, stories God. yeah i love those so what, I gotta, what i'll have to think what i'm gonna filter yeah. <laughs> <Go ahead. laughs> what uh what sort of sports were you into i love football basketball I wrestled a few years i love track i was always gotcha. a runner gotcha yeah. wow so a lot lots lots yeah. of different yeah. very I I, and today i love snow skiing which i learned there Okay. Water skiing, which wow. I learned there. I nice. still snow ski and water ski. I love golf. I learned that later in life, but I still love sports. Yeah. I have to say, I, I, I had a traumatic experience in Pop Warner football. It kind of ruined sports for me for the rest of my life. Oh, what happened? I quit. <laughs> <laughs> so imagine me, little me. Okay. So my brother sort of ended up with the sporty identity. He was three years older than me. And um, my parents were trying to get me into sports, right? So, um, but in Pop Warner football, in my little eight-year-old brain, I was thoroughly unprepared to do anything after the word hut. I had no clue what to do, right? <laughs> there, were, yeah. there were plays, right? And I was supposed to remember yeah. what they meant. I had yeah. no clue, right? I just, all I did was, if they did put me in, I would just, I was playing on defense somewhere don't know where. And I would just run after the quarterback. They're like, Oh, okay. All you do is blitz. I'm like, okay, whatever that is. All right. <laughs> now I, I, I was just afraid to let, let my teammates down because yeah. I didn't know what to do. Right. Uh -huh. So if somebody, an adult, anybody really would have said, look, you're eight years old. It doesn't really matter. Just get out there and have fun. I would have said, Oh, Okay. <laughs> I think, right? But nobody yeah. said that. They just called me a quitter. And uh and they said, you know, you know, you never get anywhere in life quitting. So I was like, well, we'll find out how that works out cuz I'm quitting. It worked out okay, <laughs> it looks like. Yeah, I don't sound like my my uh my baseball was like I played they put me in different places. I wasn't very good at baseball. They put me so I put me at third base. I had to relay my my throw to first base to the pitcher cuz I didn't have an arm. <laughs> That sounds so. a lot like me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah so I, I actually uh, I went to track after okay. a while. Yeah, yeah. I could run. I could run. Yeah, yeah. So, I, like uh what's that? Forrest Gump. I was I a, could run. <laughs> I was a, a bat boy. My dad yeah. was the coach. I liked uh -huh. that. I, and then uh in sixth grade, I got recruited to be a bas uh, a manager, which is basically a ball boy for the yeah. for the uh, sixth grade uh basketball team. And we also did the stat book, right? Which I was did a lot of that kind of stuff. That too. was yeah, actually was really fun. Yeah. Uh, and then cool. I think my sporting career ended in freshman football. I did freshman football the whole way through, played very little. <laughs> Which is fine. It. I did but it. But you did it. And then yeah. I was done. And then I was done. Anyway, so we, that was great digression. So thanks for sharing. So how did you, let's talk a little bit about some, some of the fun stories when you got in trouble. Oh gosh. I think some of it just came from that, that first scene that I said, I was just, uh, really looking to fit in. Uh, okay. and, and I got into, you know, back then we drank and smoked and sure. did all kinds of stuff. So sure. I can remember, Me I too. can remember one night if you <laughs> want, uh, I can remember one night we were over in a friend's house and a friend's house. And this was the seventies and the streaking thing. Was <laughs> okay. So we're over, we're over and we're, we're a little bit lit up. You yep. know, I was only 15 or something. Right. We're a little bit lit up. And one of the, somebody had an idea about this. Why don't we do this streaking? So we, oh, so we, 
we go out this friend's house, we run down the street, we're underneath the street light, we run back up, and another buddy locked us out. Oh, so no. we <laughs> turned on the light, locked us out. <laughs> oh, anyway, the cops came. Oh, we geez. Got in trouble. We you got, got busted trouble. naked? We got oh, in my. Trouble. We, we walked into school Monday morning to a big roar. The whole cafeteria <laughs> went out. So. And my uh, my dad, who was a football coach, and, and he was actually superintendent of schools at the time. Oh, geez. And uh, he said, uh, well, I think I think you should go trim those pine trees up there in the back of the house today. And he says, you can do that with your clothes off if you like to. Said, wow. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't. I, I had kept my clothes on, but I Good did go trim pine trees for the day. <laughs> Ouch. Yeah. Ouch. Yeah. yeah. Embarrassing dad, never a good thing. Oh, well. There's one. That's a pretty good one. (laughs) That is a good one. (laughs) I remember, you know, I I think that's like a pretty common thread between people that grew up in small towns, usually up north. So I was in Michigan. We were drinking when illegally when we were teenagers as well. Yeah. I remember we always uh, would go to the Catholic uh, high school... Uh, they had dances every Saturday night, mostly just mm-hmm. to make sure all the kids were in one place and keep they could keep an eye mm-hmm. on you, right? Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> we started for what? Oh, my parents were out of town, just like you, right? <laughs> and uh, I started drinking before my buddies came to pick me up to go to the dance. And for whatever reason, they just didn't show up, you know? And, you know, this was before there were cell phones, so I couldn't text anybody. So I got really drunk on, I don't know, whatever booze was in my parents' house, uh, and then decided to walk to this dance. And, you know, being young and dumb, I didn't realize just how drunk I was. So not only did I not make it to the dance, <laughs> I, I remember flashes of, like, falling down on the interstate bridge, right, and tearing a hole in my pants. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Just that drunk. Uh, Mm -hmm. And then I don't even really remember how I got home. (laughs) But I'm pretty sure I I knocked on some wrong doors more than once. Uh, It was awful. (laughs) So I don't know how I always wondered how we made it through all those times. We didn't make it. No, I know. Uh, You know, if there is a God, he must love me. (laughs) okay so let's talk about like um you you, i take it you're a doctor so that means you probably went to college so where did you go where did you go to college the first time i went to undergraduate at the university of maine in orono and then i went to got an mba at colorado state uh in fort collins close to where i am now and then i got my doctorate there all kind of at different times right right yeah but I spent nine years in college altogether. So Maine and Colorado. Yes. Okay. Yep. So was it sort of like, was your undergrad kind of like Animal House? Like lots of parties oh, and keggers? and Totally, actually. Yeah, we lived really? in a dorm. We lived in a dorm called Hannibal Hamlin. <laughs> and <laughs> it great. was, I was just back visiting a friend who was in the nursing home. Uh, and he was talking about the time he came to visit us at at college, he came to visit me, and there were people, those couches in the lobby, and people being jumping out windows and throwing out. But yes, it was totally Animal House, <laughs> which was a great movie, by the way. Yeah, that's great. And actually, I yeah, and I moved. Uh, actually, uh, I got uh, 
still drinking. I remember I got a, a DUI sophomore year, and afterwards I said uh, I got to do something different. I moved to Colorado, spent a few years in Colorado, okay, and then went went back to finish at Maine. Okay, and I came back to Colorado because I loved it. Aha, so. uh-huh. yeah, Colorado yeah. is pretty awesome. Yeah, I love to snow ski and golf mm. and sun sunshines. It's I love Colorado. That is one thing I have done. So uh, my first Air Force assignment was in northern Japan. Uh-huh. <clears throat> and uh, we were like probably 30 minutes drive away from skiing. Yeah. So I could get done from work and grab my skis and put them on my car, drive 30 minutes and ski until 10 p.m. <laughs> it was awesome. I have a friend that went to Japan skiing a few years ago, so it was great. Yeah, it's yeah. awesome. Uh, yeah. yeah. Never done it. I've never skied anywhere ever in my life. <laughs> and I ski a lot. I love to ski. When we uh, when we moved from LA in 2017 to Vegas, we finally donated all of our ski stuff because my wife and I both had the old school skis. I guess yeah. skis don't look that way anymore. <laughs> they, they don't. They're shorter, fatter, yeah. got a little more shape to them. Yeah, right. We that, had the long like two tens. They were little skinny things. Yeah, you yeah, know? yeah. I had one nineties. I think. Whoosh. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> So I, yeah. I'm glad I didn't show up with my old man skis. <laughs> yeah, I think I ski on like 170s today, and we were 190, 200s, and all that kind of right, stuff. Right, right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. We got really good deals on those too. I think it was we both got like j- the Japanese when I was there, and we were buying these skis. They were very much brand conscious, mm. so they didn't want to buy anything that was last year's model. So you got really good deals on last year model. I mean, they're still brand new skis. They're just not cool anymore. Mm -hmm. Anyway. Okay. So it sounds like you had a lot of partying and a lot of fun. So did you quit drinking at some point? It kind of sounded like maybe you did. I quit drinking way after I should have. I quit drinking about 15 years ago. Okay. Yeah. I, I'm still yeah. drinking. So I, I practiced I practiced for 50 years and then I, you know, maybe it's time. I, I, I am uh, I keep telling people that I'm looking forward to not having a federal government job so I can smoke weed instead of drink beer. <laughs> there you go. There's a lot of successful people that smoke weed. Oh, they totally are. Yeah. Yes. Seth Rogen uh, is the guy that comes to mind. Joe Rogan, big weed advocate. Uh, Bill Maher. Bill, Bill Maher. Yes. Yeah. Uh, he was going to yeah. be my next example. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And, he, and super rich. Yeah. <laughs> what is he, yeah. like a part owner of a basketball team? And was ba- was baseball. It was oh, uh, maybe it's baseball. New York teams. But okay. I think he got out of it. You think he got out of it, too. Oh, but, he sold yeah. out? Okay. I think he did. Yeah. Pretty smart. I'm not positive. Not positive. Right. Yeah, right. he is. Okay. So what was your first job after college or maybe after undergrad? Uh, well, in, in between, you know, in, in during my undergrad and I took that time off, I, I wrote service at a, I moved to Colorado and tried to get residency. I was going to school here. So I wrote service at an auto dealership. Okay. And then within a year, I was promoted to service manager, and I made some pretty good money for a 20-year-old kid. No, wow. No degree. A service so say, manager uh, at 20? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Holy saved, cow. Uh, saved some money, and then I went back. It was actually a motivation. I went all the way back, finished my undergraduate, and got all the way through MBA because I, I disliked it so much. 
that I, I I just said, I'm going to get some education. Oh. <laughs> this is not, this is not, this is not where I want to spend the rest of my life. You didn't like so. the, uh, the being the service manager. No, I didn't. It was just, you know, listen, no one was ever happy. Of course know? not. <laughs> That's a lose lose job. I was I was good at it, but it was uh, not a happy job. Right, I didn't find. Yeah, yeah. Your service advisors uh, are not happy. The mechanics are not happy. The customers are not happy. Nobody's happy. Yeah, right. So we'll. I had a series of part time jobs, which we'll talk about a little bit later when you ask me that question about a humorous story. Okay. But full full time, I got through my MBA and I got a job as a an analyst in a real estate development company. Wow. You know. Yeah. Yeah. What is a what does an analyst in a real estate development company do? I don't know what that is. We looked at all kinds of projects and ran pro forma numbers on them, and you know, gave advice. You know, here's the good things about the project. Here's the bad things about the project. Here's you know, we should do it. We shouldn't do it. And then from there, I moved into financing them and learned how to finance real estate projects. Oh wow! Okay. Yeah, that does sound like a lot more interesting. It was awesome. Yeah, I, that first company was a disaster. They, the the uh, the owner of the company was wasn't very reputable. He Uh-oh. taught me a lot of uh, things what not to do, but it opened. It, you know, so I was there sure. about eighteen months or so. It seemed like right. five years, right? But it opened a lot of doors for me. The next job I got from there was with an Australian firm. They were investor in that company, and I ended up being their North American president wow. after a few okay. years. And they they were coming into the country, and I ran offices and. Denver, and they moved me to Los Angeles, Princeton, New Jersey, oversaw uh, an operation in Boston, another operation in Georgia, was, you know, just wow. traveled. Yeah, just yeah. Just traveled. Right. And you got yeah. to party with Aussies. I did. And they partied. <laughs> they party. Yes, they, they do. I was, a, I was too good of a fit. <laughs> <laughs> so I've got it was a, a, It was a great job. I've got a funny story that relates to a famous Australian. Great. Yeah. So there's this guy. His name is Stephen Baxter. He's on the uh, Australian version of Think Tank. So I know the name, but I can't place him right now. I, yeah. The name sounds familiar. Yeah. But he, <clears throat> so I didn't know any of that. That that thing that I just said that he was the he sold a telecom, one of uh, Australia's first telecoms. So he was worth mm-hmm. you know hundreds of millions of dollars <laughs> Australian. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he was totally just, uh, he had this nickname. So back in, I want to say like 2005, 2006-ish, <clears throat> that was sort of like the beginning of podcasting. Mm-hmm. And I was the fan of this show, and he was also a fan of this same show. And it was one of these call-in-tell-a-joke kind of scenarios, mm-hmm. right? So he was calling in and telling jokes, and then I was calling in and telling jokes. And we're all just fans of this podcast. And <clears throat> the guys that were doing the podcast decided to have a party in their pool in Phoenix, Arizona, at you know the guy's backyard, basically. And uh, this Australian shows up, and we get to be friends, right? We know each other for a long time. I have no clue he's a multimillionaire. <laughs> Didn't even know who he was outside of you know the guy from the show, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And then and then after the show ended, then. Uh, I was starting my business podcast, the one before this one. And he said, you know, that I could probably be a guest on my show and talk about, uh, you know, how I made my money and my business. And I'm like, mm-hmm. okay, um, tell me about it. And he's like, yeah, well, I sold a telecom for $600,000 or $600 million or something. And I'm like, really? Holy shit. I don't think I can be your friend anymore. 
<laughs> but he was just like the world's coolest dude. Uh, yeah, great. Yeah. And uh, ex, uh, ex-army, right? Special forces, I think, for Australia. Yeah. So really cool dude. Anyway, and Aussies really know how to party. Yes, they do. Okay. So as I digress, um, so talk a little bit about how you found meditation and mindfulness. Yeah. Um, well, in that job that I had in my 20s, I just traveled. I, uh, you know, despite being an athlete at my core, I spent years not doing anything okay. other than traveling, eating, drinking. Right. I ended up, uh, I know I the, the company uh, asked me to move to Boston okay. to help them with a problem, pro- uh, problem company they were having. And so I went in, I finally got settled down a little bit in an apartment, stepped on a scale, and holy gosh, I was 50 pounds over what I thought I should weigh. Okay. It's something like I weigh 160-something today. I weigh 210 pounds. Right. Uh, I was smoking. I was partying too much. I was having some pains. Right. And I just remember looking at that and having a real soul moment that said, you know what? If you don't make some changes, you're not going to be around very long. Mm. You're not going to live. Okay. You know, if you don't make some really wholesome changes. So like a, a, an internal wake-up call, as they say. Yeah. 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 And I didn't really know what medita- about meditation or anything, but I started, uh, you know, I quit drinking for a bit. Right. I gave notice on the job, said, you know, I'll consult. I'm not, you know, for this, I'm going to start my own business. Okay. I have to make some changes. I just can't keep up like this. Right. And uh, working too hard. Start, started too running again. Which, okay. Yeah. I started running. I lost a bunch of weight. I got in and then. Uh, I got into yoga. I saw yoga mm. and it just was looked like, hey, I think I'll try that. Mm-hmm. And at the time, I, I don't, there wasn't yoga studios that I knew of. It was just, I got a DVD and just started it. Uh-huh. So I did uh, yoga for a few years like that. And then my older brother uh, turned me on to meditation. Okay. And it was just like a light bulb switched for me. So you were already doing like, yoga. Yeah, it was my access. It was my access to mindfulness with yoga. It was physical and I'd learned, you know, my breath. And I just was amazed my breathing was all screwed up. And, you know, I just wasn't. And I just learned about getting into my body. And it was just like so relieving. Right. And it also made me so much more aware of my health just naturally. Right. What I was putting in my body and how I was sleeping and all those things. I just loved it. And I've never stopped doing yoga. I'm now a yoga teacher and I love I love it. Yeah. I went through a whole, well, as I was in uh, Los Angeles, so I don't know when I started, but for several years, I did yoga on the Air Force Base in San Pedro. Mm. And it was free. (laughs) Yeah. And amazing. Yes. Yeah. I I, I really, and I I also bought a DVD. I think I got, uh, what was it called? Oh, yin yoga? Have you ever heard of yin yoga? Yeah, I have. I yeah, like yeah. yin yoga. Yeah. yeah. So there's mine, mine mine was Patricia Walden Iyengar yoga. Okay. And I watched I watched that same DVD every day, I think for 3 years, you Yeah, know? yeah. It was great. It was great. Yeah. I actually recorded I recorded the audio of the DVD mm-hmm. and then I was I would take that and just listen to it. 
Yeah, because I nice. already knew all the moves. I didn't really need the video anymore, but it was handy yeah, yeah to have the audio cues to know, yeah. okay, now I'm going to yeah. do this one. And then I didn't yeah. have to do a bunch of timers and stuff. But yeah, I love yin yoga. And then I also did, I guess it, I guess it was like a generic vinyasa. How do you say that? Vin- vinyasa. There you go. Vinyasa. Yeah. Vinyasa. Right. Which yeah. I, I, I've had other instructors, but this instructor was just so cool. Um, Tracy was her name, but she Uh was just constantly giggling and playful Mm -hmm. and she made everything like, I think anybody else that would ask me to do some goofy move that I'd never tried before, I probably wouldn't do it. But when she said it, she would be just like, I want to see you try this because I think it'll be hilarious. I could not, right? It was some part of me. Exactly, right? There was some part of me that could not resist at that point. Very cool. Yeah, so love yoga. So did you end up like, um, like my intro to meditation was something like Deepak Chopra or maybe Wayne Dyer, one of the two, I don't remember. So just talk about like, you said your brother. So what was you know, the, yeah. the, the, the attraction was uh, my brother and my dad were very estranged. My okay. dad was a football coach. My oldest brother is a poet. Okay. And my, okay. my older brother grew up with, you will play football. And gotcha. he didn't really want to. Okay. <laughs> and he had to. And there was, a, uh, that was just one thing, but there was a lot of things and they were pretty estranged. Okay. But I watched my older brother and my dad didn't change. I watched him meditate and I just watched him reconcile. Okay. And just have him change, and and I just said, "Gosh, I want some of that." That is amazing. okay. Yeah, I there, just watched. I just watched him transform the relationship all within himself. Right. You know. Right. And uh, transformed how my dad was because of how he was with it. And uh, right. So I and so it was attractive. But my entry was books. Books. I'm a big a big book guy. Just mm. my brother recommended some, and I just started on the path of uh, reading books about meditation and doing. It. I just did it myself for years and years and years. Right. And then also, I remember when I first got started, I was also it was playing golf, and the first time I meditated, I said, "This is golf," and it was right after like the internet came <laughs> out. So I started googling, and I found a guy, uh, Joe Parent, was Zen Golf, and I went to a couple of his workshops, and I worked with him, and he helped me learn meditation. Wow. Really, really great. Yeah. And it transformed golf into being, you know, from stressful to something I appreciated and liked to go out and play, you know, and, yeah. and didn't have to score, you know, a great score to actually enjoy yeah, that did, myself. Yeah. Yes. Yes. There you, know? you go. I, and my golf did improve too. It will it was because mostly, you're, mo- you're, you're not hard knuckling it anymore and you're not totally. beating yourself up yeah. anymore. Yeah. You're just yeah. sort of like trying to make it like a Zen thing. It's like. Aware. You're yes. just aware, just aware, you know, just right. playing. Yeah. Where's so, my body that, that was, when I swing? <laughs> and you know, sports was a great entry for the mm. whole thing for me because right. the snow skiing transformed snow skiing for me. It just became I so bet. fun just to be in my body and just ski. So. Before we d- dig into mindfulness full full throttle here, yeah, I want to talk a little bit about that health transformation. Yeah, because I went through something similar. Um, I remember when I was still active duty, um, two of my buddies and I would uh, get together and brew beer, okay? And mm-hmm. <clears throat> this buddy was a really good brewer, and he did the um, the whole grain brewing, right? Mm-hmm. There's And I wasn't doing whole grain brewing, so my process was kind of like a, an hour boil, right? So 
I didn't have to stand around for three hours. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, he did, right? So I would go to his house and help him with his brews. And I noticed that these two guys could stand up the whole three hours. And I couldn't, okay? So that, that whole point of that story was there was something wrong with me because I felt like I really needed to sit down. <laughs> mm. My feet were just yeah. sore. My legs were sore. There was something going yeah. on in my body where it was like I was aging prematurely. I didn't know what was going on. But that was just sort of like the first indication to me that like other people can stand longer than me (laughs) and they're about the same age. Right. So, right. I didn't really figure it out at that point. It was just like a hint. And then later on, I was in uh, Portland, Oregon for this other event. Um, And we me and my friends that I was hanging out with, we were walking everywhere. I didn't even have a rental car. So that was when I really realized that, oh, my God, there's something really wrong with me. <laughs> Gotta make some changes. I need to make some changes. Yes. Yeah. So, yeah, so. that ended up for me. It was mostly cleaning up my diet, like trying to find all that junk food that's full of mm-hmm. preservative and sugar. Right. Uh-huh. So, you know, getting that out. Um, and then, you know, it's not like I don't eat it ever. It's just I'm mindful about it when I do it. It's like, okay, I'm going to have this small dose of garbage now. <laughs> mm-hmm. And, and, yeah. and usually I'm going to have a salad and love my green smoothies and, mm-hmm. you know, kind of like a modified Tim Ferriss diet, lots of vegetables, beans, and protein. Yeah. Yeah. So what was that like for you? What was your, what did you do when you cleaned up your diet and your health? Well, when I first did it, I remember I went on a Nutrisystem thing. To oh, just, nice. I just had to do something that was radical, I thought, okay. because I had my was so far out of whack. And I lost 40 pounds in 40 days, I think. Wow. I That's awesome. Crazy. It was crazy. I don't know if it was awesome. You know, be probably be better to be a little more measured, but I'm kind of fanatical of whatever I do. <laughs> okay. Either if it's drinking or dieting or whatever, but that's just how I do stuff. Gotcha. And, and, uh, so that was it. And then I just think the mindfulness just makes you more aware of what you put in your body. You know, oh, totally. You know, that you just notice more like when our mindfulness programs, I don't have to talk about diet and exercise that much. People just naturally start doing those. Plus, everything's diets and everything are so over the board, all over the board. Now, everybody's got a different, <laughs> whether it's gluten, no yeah. gluten, right? Paleo, this, I mean, there's thousands of them. But anyway. Right. But I find that the, just the mindfulness generally makes you more aware of what you're doing. And, and it also makes you crave to go for those walks and to do those kind of things to get mm. out and move, oh, move a little yeah. bit. You know? I really, now that I can walk, right, without feeling all that pain, I love walking. Yeah, now, me I, too. I, I don't walk forever. I'm not one of those crazy people. But mm. like, if I want to go out and have a good walk, it'll last, you know, walking around the neighborhood 45 minutes. That's yeah. like my favorite walk. I don't get yeah. to do it all that often in Vegas until yeah. it, the the <laughs> yeah. the summer decides to end. But uh, yeah, and actually, and what we do in Vegas. Go ahead. I was saying for years for me it was running. Right. You know, I loved to run. I was a track guy, and I loved to run. And then I know my daughter when she was in college asked me to do a marathon with her, and I, it was the first time I'd like run twenty miles. Yes. And I got injured. Of course. And I got off the, and I got injured and I, for a while, couldn't run. And then, you know, then I got old. 
So now I'm a now I'm a walker. You know, I never thought I'd be a walker, but I love it. You know, but my wife loves yeah. to walk. I love walking with her. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I'm I'm kind of like uh, anti run guy now too. Yeah. Just because um, my knees got banged up when I was active duty Air Force because you're running because you have to. It's part of yeah. your job. <laughs> Whereas my my friend, one of my childhood friends says, I only run when someone's chasing me. That's my new, that is my new motto too. I agree. If somebody's chasing me, I hope uh, I can still run. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I'm not fast, but I can keep going. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, let's talk a little bit about how you sort of like pair mindfulness and business, because I think it's amazing. Um, yeah. And I think like bringing mindfulness out of, woo woo land into it can make you more money is awesome because people are motivated by profit, right? It's the best incentive. <laughs> well, you know, the title of my book is profit with presence. Cause I think if we're, if we're trying to promote mindfulness and presence in lieu of making money or in lieu, of, I mean, especially if somebody's a CEO and you go to your shareholders and say, Oh, we're not going to make our numbers this year. Cause I'm, you know, I'm into mindfulness. They're gonna go. What? Yeah, that's you not know? gonna work. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and it's and also it's just not my experience is that mindfulness is focus, and right. if you have the right purpose, which is not profit, you need some other purpose that you'll be more successful. Right. And uh, but now I would say you know initially I didn't. I was a closet meditator. I would just do my stuff home, and I would come into the office barely noticing people, and then just over time I changed. I became more approachable. I became more of a people person. Right. Uh, and people noticed changes in me. And mm-hmm. we started opening it up one person at a time. We started a C group in the office and just would mm-hmm. read a book or, sorry about that, read a book or, you know, practice mindfulness. We, before I knew it, we started one, two people. Before I knew it, there was, uh, you know, a dozen people around the table at work. Wow. Craving, craving something. Yeah. And uh, so it just boom, boom, went from one thing to the other. When we started with uh, some things that weren't meditation, that were more kind of uh, yoga, just mindfulness. No, just mindfulness mindset. Interestingly, you know, I find half the people have an aversion to yoga too. It's like meditation, just not everybody wants to do yoga. Right. I don't know why. I, for men, I think it's somewhat. It's sometimes it's embarrassing, and I, I don't know why. But everybody doesn't crave yoga either. Right, but right. There are some just uh, general mindfulness mindset workshops that we did uh, that were awesome. Okay. And then then later we introduced uh, an eight week mindfulness course where we had wow. everybody do mindfulness and meditation, and the partners got together and redid our vision statement and came up with a vision statement that I helped facilitate. I didn't come up with it was mindfully creating community. Mm, that's awesome. And that was really the watershed. It gave everybody permission to actually just really work on being mindful. Everybody's on community boards, you know, a food bank, the chamber, right, uh, right. habitat, all those kind of things. And they're just such, we call it, I call it the precision effect. When you go into these, uh, non-profiting these things with the intent of really helping mm-hmm. you, you become so attractive that other people bring you deals all the time. <laughs> right, 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 right. They, they want to work with you. Yeah. They want to work with you. I've heard when, this before. Like Deepak you, Chopra when, would say this and Wayne Dyer would say this. It's I, like, he's creating affluence. He just wrote another book Deepak did uh, called abundance, which is great. Right. He's great. He's great in these kind of things. He's got some great work. Yeah. And there's this, this stuff. there's this sort of like, I don't even know what, 
like he takes a lot of crap in the media for being rich spiritual, right? Yeah. It's like who said anything that uh, you can't be both? You know. <laughs> I say I say uh, my terminology is affluence increases influence. You know, totally. I used to think when I first started reading this that you had to renounce all your possessions and you know right. go sit on a hill in India, and I was resistant to that. You mm. know. Right. I like thing. I like thing. I like my life. I like to go skiing and those like kind of toys. things. I, I, you like toys. You like, yeah. Yeah, and I like course. to go to Maine in the summertime. So as I studied more and learned, that's not necessarily true. I can make a bigger difference right. by having some assets. And totally. I can go into a Habitat meeting and help them build a house physically and donate something. I can do, right. you know, maybe make a bigger difference. Or we made... We made a, you know, a big splash at the university, a big endowment that we did. I taught at the university 20 years but that I couldn't do if I was uh, didn't have any assets. Right. So so I learned that it's it's a great, uh, I don't know, I hate to call it a business strategy, but it is in some sense of giving. You know, right. just give of yourself and it comes right. back to you. Comes right, right. back to you and back to you and back to you. So Yeah, the service, uh, so the service sort is. of attitude. And it puts you, you know, the science on gratitude is irrefutable, how it just right. gives you a mindset change. This is gratitude in action. I call it gratitude on steroids. It's not just mindset <laughs> yeah. change. You're physically out there feeling the difference that you're making. Mm. And I don't know if you call it, if it sounds weird to call it the universe or whatever, mirror neurons just says, when I give, people want to give back. Totally. And it, and it just happens. Plus, I say, uh, or it's in Jeff Olson's book, The Slight Edge, you're the product of the five people you hang around the most. I want to hang around givers and they're hanging around these causes. Mm. They're trying to solve poverty. They're trying to solve the housing crisis. They're trying right. to solve homelessness. Right, right. Get around them. And when you give other givers, just give back. They give you referrals. They do this. They do that. It's just a You're great... creating like a positive feedback loop. And the downside yeah. is that, you, that you're happy and making a difference and somebody <laughs> didn't give you a referral. Okay. <laughs> right. So what? Right. You know? Yeah, yeah. I'm making a difference and I'm happy. And here we go. So some downside, huh? <laughs> yeah. I don't think there, I don't think there is a downside. No. And also, I also think it's the only way capitalism works. I'm a capitalist. I love business. I love, right. I love entrepreneurship. I mm. love all that, but there's a lot of gaps in it. And the right. only way I think it really works for everybody is if when we see needs that we reach out and try to solve those. Right. It doesn't mean we, doesn't mean that I give my house away or my last right. car or my last dollar. But it means that I care, I have some compassion, and I look at things and, and try to intentionally solve some of the world, world's problems. And that's how I think we get out of this mess we're in. And that's mm. how I think capitalism works. And I think capitalism, Schumpeter in 1942 called it uh, creative destruction, how business keeps turning things over and things. I just, right. I'm promoting this because I think if business really adopts mindfulness, Mm. When people get it in business, then they take it home at night. They share it with their family. It goes to the school board. It goes to the church. It goes to the little league team. Right. It can just infiltrate the community. A business is the great melting pot in the world. Yeah. That's my that's my vision is that business transforms us out of this. Well, we're definitely we quagmire. can't really count on government. <laughs> no. no. But business government's getting all their money from business people, right? One way or another. So if the business people say, "Hey," We don't care left or right. Right. Just agree. Move us down the road. Right. Right. <laughs> you well, know? actually, if you change the way business is done to be more yes. mindful, yes. I think. Yes. It'll infiltrate the government, too. Totally, and you don't have totally to worry well. about it. <laughs> I think so. I think so, It'll too. fix itself. That's awesome. But we, with yeah. the mindset sh set shift that I'm trying to help promote is that 
it's like I got to take time out from mindfulness. I say, no, you don't. We no, you waste don't. so much time now. If you become more focused, there's all kinds. And we're, can we do a half hour a day for people for mindfulness? We do yoga in here a half hour you know, a week. It's great. And people are more productive and happier mm. than ever. Mm-hmm. So. Totally. So uh, talk a little bit about living in the gap. Where does that phrase come from? I have an idea, but I want to hear you say it. (laughs) Well, um, and you mentioned Wayne Dyer. He had a, he has a pretty good book on the gap. I'm saying getting in the, getting Getting in the gap. gap. I think you, Mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah. Um, the gap is that it's a lot of things, but one thing it is, is that gap, we have like 6,000 thoughts a day, which is a lot. That's an average person. Right. And it's that gap where one thought stops and the next one starts. Can you start making a little disassociation between yourself and your crazy mind? Right. And start noticing your thoughts and start having some spaces. Because what I've learned and what I've experienced myself is the gaps are where peace and joy and harmony are. Mm. It's in thought that stress and anxiety live. So if I can start finding right. those gaps and start noticing when I'm buried in my mind and when I'm not. Like you, you said, can I start noticing when I'm present and when I'm not? Right. That's the joy of it. And I'm lost. I mean, why come in and out of presence on my best day? I mean, I'm not, and I'm not running around, you know, enlightened. I'm just, I'm a crazy person that has found some relief and happiness in honestly, greater success. Yeah. By, uh, by these principles. It's that that gap. I love the idea of living in the gap. Um, because you know it's fun to visit the gap, right? But yeah. I, I like the idea when I saw that living in the gap. Oh, I wish I could live in the gap. Um, Me too. But yeah, so I think yeah, Wayne Dyer said it's like the gap between stimulus and and response, right? Yeah, that's a gap too. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So that yeah. so like you don't necessarily have to go with the knee jerk response. Yeah. And the bigger that gap is you know, the more time you have to consider, like maybe your first reaction is a knee jerk and you're like, "Ah, ah." (laughs) you're going to freak out. Right. Yes. But that maybe you need to walk away and go have a moment. Right. That that's a win. Cause you didn't totally, or, yeah. or maybe you need to apologize or maybe, or whatever. maybe, maybe all, you do explode on the person in front of you and then the gap will come back and you can exactly. say, right, right. Yeah. Yeah. So it's a, it's a place to hang out and just start watching, watching life a little bit unfold Mm -hmm. and, uh, let, let, let loosen our grip just a little bit. While I was, uh, first experimenting with, uh, my mindfulness practice, I was trying to meditate on a bus in downtown Mm -hmm. Los Angeles. And so here I am trying to count my breaths (laughs) and, and I'm noticing that everybody else on this bus, but maybe me and one other person had like their headphones on or they were looking at their phone or both, mm-hmm. right? So they're, mm-hmm. they're just on the bus lost in distraction. That's sort of like all but one other person and me. So two people on a whole bus. And I, I just thought that was amazing. <laughs> I was like, okay, here is this mundane moment in my life that I am finding thoroughly amazing. (laughs) Have you ever had one of those moments? Like, yeah. Okay. There you go. So that's just calm in the middle of chaos. I heard, I was reading something this morning that talked about, uh, 
you know, even a hurricane's got an eye. It's calm in the middle of chaos, you know, right, right. chaos. And can you find right. a little calm, a little calmness and a yeah. little eye? Yeah. Yeah. I, that's the gap too. Yeah. I, I, that, that, that little moment reminded me of one of the, the Buddhist stories where, uh, the Buddha saw one of his students like hiding right behind a tree because there it was in the middle of this gigantic battle and pe- there was like people were getting killed by swords and arrows right and the buddha just walks up to him his student and says what are you doing <laughs> get up do something he's like but master i'm going to die he's like no you're not come on <laughs> it's like that's the calm in 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 the chaos yeah, yeah. yes yeah. anyway so all right so let's talk a little bit like what does your your practice look like today? Like if you sit down to meditate, what does it look like? Yeah, it varies over time. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I go to Mine different too. lengths. I have a number of different practices. I have one candidly that's very quick. Right. That puts me in the intention of mindfulness. Might be just a couple minutes of stretching. You know, uh, gratitude's always there. Mm. I think grat- right. gratitude is the low-hanging fruit in the whole thing. It's just like an instant mind shift. Right. Uh, and also we talk about there, there's like an after image of that gratitude where you start looking for things to be grateful for rather than mm. if you leave the house irritated. Right. You're kind of looking for things to be irritated. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so yeah, totally. that, that one's always in. I journal every day. I journal my dreams. I journal uh, mm. affirmations I use. Okay. And I vary them, vary them over time. That works. Um, meditate. My, my standard meditation is 20 minutes, but yep. if I'm busy, I do two. You know, sure. I do some, I do something right. and I have a plan that, you know, when chaos hits, I can do something, put my mind in the intention of it. But I, I love to read 10 pages at least from an inspirational book. Oh, that's good. You know? yeah, yeah. Yeah. Like one of the Wayne Dyers or the, right. Something. And <clears throat> I, uh, I usually read a lot more than that cause I love to read. There but you go. I, I do, I do something of that and not a, not a fictional novel usually, but something that is, you know, putting my, I say meditation clears my brain out. But then mm. I need to plant seeds of affirmation, gratitude, books right. that I want to affirm to, affirmation, those kind of things that will train my brain to head me towards where I want to go. I like it. Okay. I want, you know. So you're actually doing a little bit of the affirmation, sort of like the gratitude feeds on the, the affirmation, sort of <clears throat> all, all of that. It all feeds on each other. Yeah. It's yeah. all positive. Right. You know, I do, vis- I do visualizations. Okay. They're just, I mean, the science on those is ir- irrefutable that you can visualize. I do a lot in our workshops on the visualization, just that people are amazed that how, how happiness is just a mindset. It isn't a, an accumulation of things. Right. <laughs> right. Yes. You see, uh, you see. More crap is not going to make you happy. But, how, but, we, but right. we spend all day chasing more crap. I know. You know. Right. And so it's a culture. That's our culture. That's our advertising. That's our government. Let's promote right. GDP. Let's do, right, you right, know, right. let's borrow and spend. Let's make shit. Let's make stuff and buy, and consume stuff. <laughs> yes. Let's make it, buy it, consume it. Yes. And I, I love it all, but it's not a purpose. It's not happiness. Right. Right. That, so, that has no so end work. point, really. That, and actually, right. if they find and I find that if I'm happy, I even do better. I produce more. And who do you want to work with? Someone that's happy or someone that's unhappy? You get right. more phone calls if you're happy. If you're that's satisfied true. versus if you're unsatisfied or content versus discontent. Yeah. People people want to call people that make them feel better. Ex- ex- exactly. <laughs> yes. So, yeah. I think you it's, don't I think it's a great. And, the, and again, the, downs, right. the downside is 
you're happy, content, and satisfied. Right. Totally. <laughs> so it's not a bad downside. Yeah. Have you ever heard yeah. of this uh, uh, FIRE movement? It's, FIRE? F-I-R-E? Yeah. So it stands for Financial Independence Retire Early. I have not. Okay. Well. Makes sense. It's Yeah. It's all about sort of getting off of the consumerism treadmill. Yeah. Right. The idea there is, and, you know, it's not for you necessarily, but I, I like it because it sort of like teaches the lesson of that, you know, retail th- therapy is not really going to make you happy. Right. Not in the long run. Might, <laughs> no. might, might, might for an hour. For an hour. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's like or winning. A day, or a day. I tried to explain, how big it is. Yeah. I, I tried to explain that to my wife the other day. Like winning the Super Bowl might make you feel awesome for a little while. That little while might be a, a few years. Right. Because that's pretty awesome. It's a really yeah. big win, but it's not going to make you happy for the rest of your life. Yeah. <laughs> right. I say learn to be happy first. Learn to be happy. Yeah. yeah. It, yeah. And I yeah. think so also like nowadays with the environment that we're living in, political, media, business, whatever you want to call it, the soup that we're swimming in now can make you feel like you're going crazy and you're scared and you're sad. I think it's our job. We have a duty to remember to be joyful. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Why not? Why not? We, Why we not? have to. We have to because so many people have forgotten their duty, I think. And it's, it's, it's just something automatically that you share. If you have that, you, you emanate it and you share it with people and it makes them happier. So the business side of that is they want to be around you. You right. get more calls. You get more attractive. Right. You do. Yeah. You do. So, okay. So as we wrap up, we have to do this story um, from one of your first jobs that we teased earlier. So right. let's do that and then we'll wrap it up. So one of my first jobs, uh, other than my family business, was I was at the university and uh, I needed to get a part-time job. Okay. So I went out and applied at Kmart for a stock voice job. Kmart. So- yeah. So I went out and uh, went in and they said, well, we know you applied for that job. But they said, we have a we have a uh, an opening in our millinery department and we need you to take that job for a bit. And if you do that through Christmas, then we'll move you over. So what's millinery? Again, I don't know. What well, that is. I didn't know either. <laughs> but it's ladies wear. Oh, purses, purses, gotcha. jewelry and wigs. Ah, so, so I ended said, up yes. selling. I, I okay. sold I sold wigs. Okay. So I'd be on and I'd be on here. <clears throat> so I I have to run these blue light specials every hour. <laughs> Good evening, Kmart shoppers. We have on sale here in your ladies' millinery department, ladies dolly three wigs, usually nineteen ninety five, just fifteen fifty. Well, that famous blue light flashes. So hurry on over, Kmart shoppers. Take advantage of these fantastic Kmart savings. And I'd be doing that, and my college friends would come in and look at me and laugh. And oh, anyway, it wasn't my wasn't my ideal of this launching of this great business career. <laughs> But what, what I did get out of it was... I remember the blue light specials. <laughs> <laughs> what I did get out of it was, it's just true to this day, is I could sell anything. Yeah. You know? you I had, was good at it. You had the, I was good at it. You had they the, didn't uh, want me to leave. You had the blue light special <laughs> voice down. <laughs> <laughs> they didn't want me to leave. I still went in and transferred as a stock boy, but I went. I was not their highest... Uh, they didn't like me as much on that because I didn't. They wanted me to stay in that department because my sales were pretty good. And I said, you know what? I think I'm. I think, I'm going to take another route. 
<laughs> so for the young folks out there, they actually had a big blue light. Totally. And they turned it on, and then everybody in the store, if they were interested in that sale, would go find the blue light. <laughs> That's my story. Yeah, I love it. it. I <laughs> love it. Thank you for sharing. Okay, so uh, how can people best get in touch with Dr. Eric Holzapple? The best is that you can find out all about us on uh, livinginthegap.org. Our website has all our programs on there. You can right. sign up for our newsletter. There's free resources. Right. You can get a book list, a meditation, body scan, you know, oh, some mindful stretching on there. Yeah. So that's all in free resources. And you can get information about my upcoming book called Profit with Presence, which is also available for pre-sale on Amazon. Okay. And Profit we'll... with Presence. We yeah. will uh, we'll link to all of that in the show notes, livinginthegap.org. Awesome. Dr. Eric Holzapple, this has been a blast. Uh, can I copy you and uh, spread your seed of mindfulness to the world? Please. That'd be great. Please, please. <laughs> I, would, I would love it. Thank you very much. I've enjoyed being on your program. So who, really all right. Appreciate it. Thank you. You have a good day. All right. All right. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thanks for taking the time to ride along with us on another episode of Vroom Vroom Veer. For podcast info and show notes, be sure to head over to vvveer.com. That's triple V double E R.com. Man, that's fun to say. And we'll catch up with you next time here on Vroom Vroom Veer. Vroom Vroom Veer.